0: So welcome back, everybody, and welcome to the penultimate Folk on Falcons of the season. We'll be here next year, of course. I'm Philip Mundy, and joining me is... Ian Joseph. As always, you can find us on social media.
1: Yep, so on Facebook, look for our picture, and it's at Folk on Falcons. Again, Twitter, same tag, at Folk on Falcons. And if you would like to send us a direct email, it's folkonfalcons at
0: mail.com. Great. So this week, we'll... Review the five-point win against Worcester. Look ahead against uh, Harlequins. Get our abacuses out, or whatever the plural abacus is. Uh, it might be abacus. I don't know. Um, get our abacuses out um, because there's uh, a lot of maths to be done when it comes to looking at the league table and what we need to do to finish an eighth, which would give us the Heineken Cup spots. Get our crystal ball out as well because I think we need to need to use a bit of that when we're looking at what results may or may not happen. So um, no further place to start than. What a fantastic win against Worcester at the weekend. Yeah, well, job done
1: really, wasn't it? Um, I mean, I thought it was a bit patchy, but obviously start with the good stuff, uh, which is the first, I suppose, sort of between 15, 20 minutes, where I thought every time we had the ball, we looked like we were going to score. Um, I mean, as good as we were, Worcester were diabolical. I mean, you could definitely see in the first quarter of the game why they rock bottom of the league. Um, but obviously talk about us um, in terms of, as I said, I thought our backs looked incisive. Uh, we were winning everything at set of pieces. The forwards were good. We were making ground. Um, and obviously, it really took about three and a half minutes for Radwan to score. Brilliant try to break the deadlock with Radwan Airways flying off from, not far from the airport. Um, I mean, what a try that was. I mean, you, you saw it line, You thought, oh, that, that's like bloody good. And then you see it again on replay, sort of obviously at, at normal speed you think oh yeah that was brilliant. good then you see like still images of how he got his body round to get that try and it's absolutely brilliant I mean I think even at the time I thought that's one of the best sort of individual moments of a try I've seen at Kingston Park and when you see it again and you see pictures of it it sort of reinforces that and um, on that one um,
0: did you feel that Hodgson passed the ball far too early because yeah, he I- had like a three on one and he passed it straight to Radwan and Radwan suddenly then had to skin two people, which he obviously managed to do with consummate ease. But um, I just thought if Hodgson had run forward another ten or fifteen yards, it would have just been a simple pop pass into the corner.
1: Well, yeah, exactly that. I, well, I thought the chance was gone because he didn't draw anyone, did he? He just he passed it far too soon, actually, kind of flat in a way. Um, obviously, he gave Radwan a lot to do, and he obviously maybe in hindsight it's good that it wasn't he didn't draw the man. It was such a spectacular try, but yeah, um, he should have, I thought, yeah, he should have just drawn the man. I thought the chance had gone for a few seconds. Um, but um, then, obviously not long after that, we scored uh, an even better try, uh, which was the, the line-out drive from uh, 23 metres, I think it was. It looked 23 metres. Um, just straight to McGuigan, the forwards, falling over left-right centre, c- couldn't handle us, and then just you know, we just sort of marched over and it was as easy as anything. Um, and then that team, before we get on to Radwan's second try, which sort of, Fran scored his first one and he, you know, he just scored that try. You would have thought, oh, well, that's as good as anything I've seen all season. Um, but, you know, it was really clever. Um, but you knew exactly what he was doing. The kick through was, was to perfection. As soon as he kicked it, as soon as you, as soon as he saw the space, as soon as you know, as a, as a fan sitting there in the stand, you saw the space and how good the kick was. You knew it was only going to be one outcome. Um, as long as the bounce, the bounce was kind, and it was, it was a good kick, and got his reward for it and finished it well, um, even under a bit of pressure when he put the ball down. And at that stage, you kind of thought, well, you know, it's almost looking like we're going to be the, ex, you know, the extra end of a hammering. Um, it just it was just so one way, and I thought we were really, really good, and Worcester were really poor. But in many ways, one of the key—well, arguably the key—sort of moment of the match was when Worcester hooked off their front row. As I guess it was a message, really, is to if you don't sort of buck up your ideas, then you know this is kind of what happens to you. And quite frankly, that changed the game really.
0: Not much happened for the rest of the first half once they changed the front row, and it kind of neutralised it somewhat. Um, we didn't really. Get into their twenty-two a great deal, and they didn't really get into ours. It just kind of petered out. Although there were a couple of chances that they butchered. Um, there was a, a pass where they gloriously threw it into touch, and there was, a, there was another one where we made a turnover on our five-meter line. But apart from that, there wasn't really much to report for the rest of the first half. And um, the second, well, they half,
1: missed. The, they didn't miss a couple of penalties, thankfully, as well. Um, that was the other thing where generally you've seen, especially with no relegation um, teams, when they have sort of around twenty-two. of well, kicked it, haven't they, for touch or maybe done the tap and go, but they just seem to kind of want to get points on the board and and a couple of, you know, eminently sort of kickable chances that they, they, well, they, they missed. And, uh, you know, I, I think at one point something sort of like, oh, you know, um, I wish we kind of got those conversions even though they were pretty tough, but it didn't really matter as it was in the end, of course. But uh, yeah, they had a couple of kicks which they just slotted wide. Um, but I thought that in that period, we sort of lost control of the game and, um, they had all the possession. I wouldn't say territory because they weren't really getting too much into our 22. And if they did, they coughed it up pretty easy. Our defense was pretty on point, actually, as it has been for most of the season. Um, but it was just they had all the possession. And I thought when we did get possession, w- when we just sort of lost it, didn't we? We sort of, it was just, I think the hands weren't that great. And it was starting to get a bit frustrating. And I think I personally was starting to get worried, say, so, you know, I was going to go on this day, so we're just not going to get that fourth try.
0: I felt that we started trying to force it. I think after being three tries up in 15 minutes, we almost got a nosebleed from the Dizzy Heights at. And it seemed that every time the backs got the ball, they wanted to give it to Radwan. And by that point, they'd well and truly marked him. But I just felt that we were playing sensible, effective, efficient rugby for the first 15, 20 minutes. And then once we we kind of got reasonably far ahead, we just expected to be able to score every phase. And if we had just played the simple stuff, then we might have ended up creating tries off the third or fourth phase, but we never really got there because we were trying to force it too soon. I think there was an element to that, but I think also you've got to give some credit to Worcester. They did, they,
1: they were a changed team the substitutions. They definitely looked a much more effective outfit. Um, they just sort of weren't giving us the opportunities that we had in the first quarter of an hour. Um, but you're right, and the sort of the game didn't really sort of go anywhere until, well, Robinson sort of leaped, a, leaped through a couple of tackles, nice sidestep. And I well see that sealed the game, didn't it? Um finally the relief of getting the uh, the bonus point. But again, um towards the end, um, we we lost control of it and I wouldn't say we were hanging on, uh, but you know, I don't know if it was tired bodies or lack of concentration or we know the game and it sort of be won by that stage, but it was again, it was sort of all them and they got their two tries. Um the first one was I guess it's just some individual brilliance from Ollie Lawrence, really, wasn't just on, on the ground. Um wasn't the hell, so he just sort of offloaded it. Space was there. Um, and the second one was just a really lucky bounce, wasn't it? Which sort of did for, for Mickey Young. But, you know, I think the, the pressure had been starting to tell. I mean, I'd say the game was over by then, but a little bit of a disappointing end to the match. But, you know, let's face it, job done, and we move on next
0: week. Yeah, you say job done, but I think that those... Um when you start looking at next week, those two tries they got at the end could end up being all important because they look, I've, I've been doing the sums. Those that don't know, I'm an accountant by day, so um, I enjoy getting my calculator out. But I've been doing the sums, I think it could come down to points difference. So um, obviously the, the last home game of the season was nice for all involved to take it. Ticketing was a bit slicker, I believe, and lap of honour at the end, etc. Overall, was it once again a fantastic experience? Yeah, um, I, you know, it was great to be back. I mean,
1: it still felt kind of novel, even though, even though obviously the, the big comeback was a couple of weeks before. Um, as obviously well reported, slightly more people there. I'm not sure if they managed to sell out the two and a half thousand. Um, but, you, you know, the, you definitely got the impression more people were there. And it kind of felt more like a bit more of a normal match day. But yeah, it was nice. Obviously, the result helped. And then yeah, it's nice to see sort of the laugh appreciation I think they call it, don't they? Um, at the end, sort of you're getting can, to you can run up and sort of see see all your favourites up close and, and whatnot, and push their families out of the way and things like that. But no, it was nice. I mean, you know, at the end of the day, it's a nice way to end the season with a of, you know win against you know. Funny I, enough, I, I always like to sort of beat Worcester because I've always sort of thought they're a bit of, a, sort of rivals to us for. Yeah, you know, staying up. So I always sort of enjoy my nice sort of home and over there. being a bit of a bogey team for us as well in some ways. But, uh, yeah, I, I apart from the various suppose I, I and call it, call it music, I guess, I've been generous. Every time ball went out to play or whatever. Yeah, I mean, obviously, very enjoyable experience and looking forward
0: to it or to all getting back to normal next season. My crystal ball gazing. Arthur playing Northampton, Bristol playing London Irish. Wasps are playing versus Tigers, and Worcester are playing Gloucester. They're the matches that will basically affect our league position. Bath versus Northampton. Northampton aren't going to change their position. They're going to be fifth. They can't not be fifth. So they're going to play the academy lot. Presumably they're playing away, and they've got nothing to play for. So Bath are going to get a four-try, four five-point win there. Bristol versus London Irish. Bristol are playing for top of the league, so therefore they're going to absolutely thrash London Irish. London Irish, points difference will plummet and there we are in the picture. Wasps versus Leicester's the interesting one. I think that Leicester are going to win this because I feel Leicester are going to play a full-strength team because in theory they could still not finish top eight should they lose. So I think Leicester are probably going to win that, but Wasps may well end up getting a bonus point. Hopefully not two bonus points, but they may well end up getting a bonus point. And then with Worcester and Gloucester, um, Gloucester are going to get five points, so there's no way they won't. So... I'm working on the presumption that Falcons get a five-point f- five win after scoring four tries against Harlequins because Harlequins will play a weakened team because they can't finish in third or fifth and they've got the playoffs to play for. So when I've done my sums, I reckon Northampton are going to come fifth on 55 points. Leicester will be sixth on 53 or 54. Bath will come seventh on 51 or 52. It's then a toss-up between us and Wasps on 48 or 49, depending on whether we get bonus points or whatever. And we'll both have around the same points difference of about minus 85. Gloucester um, will finish in 10th on 47 or 48 points, probably 48 because they'll get a bonus point. Then London Irish will finish in 11th on 46 or 47 points. Obviously, there's an awful lot of variables at play there. But what you have to take note of is the... Two tries that Worcester scored at the end have somewhat hindered us. And massively hindering us is the Sandy Park defeat, where that that points difference is is as good as just a single point in the table because it would have put us well clear of any of the other teams around us when it comes to points difference. Um, So we've basically got to... If Wasps get a bonus point, we need to get a bonus point win and... 20 point shift in points difference against wasps which could happen it's not going to be easy but hopefully harlequins play their academy and then we don't that's what i'm thinking Um, i don't know if you've looked at the permutations i can see anything else but um it's just one of these ones where you start mapping it out and you begin to lose the will to live but you kind of get there in the end and think oh it's quite a quite a tall order and it's not in our hands which is annoying it's easier to say this, but I think you can both sort of equally be optimistic and pessimistic
1: about it. Because as you say, there are quite a few games there where you can, with as much degree of confidence as any of these sort of predictions, kind of say which way it's going to go. So that does sort of clear the fog a little bit. Um, but you're right. It, I think it does, well, it does really hinge on Leicester Wasps, doesn't it? Um, I mean, Wasps are a really funny team. We've seen that the past few weeks. Um, you, you know, they have even... It's not even a case of some games they turn up, some games they don't turn up. Some halves they don't turn up and some they do, as we saw, you know, the incredible comeback against London, against- even against us. Um, so you really don't know what's going to happen with that. Um, Leicester, whilst they do want to obviously clinch that top eight place, pretty unlikely they're not. You do not know what's going to happen with that one. But I think that that's the one that's possibly so much in up in the air. Um, I think you're right in terms of Bath will beat Northampton. I mean, Bath have got absolutely everything to play for. Home of a jumping wreck in the sun, you know, in the sun. I found again game of the season, everything to play for. Northampton just sort of play the play the academy, give, you know, one season to end, move on, whatever. Um, the other ones, I think you're right. Gloucester will pick up five points. Um, London Irish really interesting one because Bristol, when they won, they haven't won by much. Um, and I can definitely see London Irish picking up a bonus point. Um, again with London and all these funny teams where they sort of turn up half the time and don't um, you don't know that you know on their day they could easily pick up two points or even beat Bristol I don't think they'll beat Bristol with Bristol over everything to play for but I, I think those two are the key ones We have got to think maybe there's a bit of leeway out of way but of course it <laughs> goes without saying we've got to try and pick up the five points and I think if we don't it's probably that's going to sink us um, you know we, we've got to if you want to be as simple as possible, we just got to look at ourselves first. If we pick up the five points, we can then just see the other results as they kind of roll in and just sort of look at look at a lively table or something and just see see what's happening. But it, it's so close to call, and I guess in some ways it's it's nice to be in this position. But you know, as you say, I think uh, the past couple of weeks, um, you know, if you said where you pick a five points from extra worth staying well. Yeah, but as you say, I think it, it's the scores in those games, which perhaps
0: in the short term may have cost us. Very much so. Um I've been on a few of the online sources for fan exchanges of conversation. And there seems to be a, a minority, I wouldn't say a, a large minority, but minority of people saying, we'd not just rather finish in ninth and then not get thrashed in the Heideken Cup next year. Do you subscribe to that line of thinking or not?
1: I don't. Um, I can see the logic because, you know, you don't even need to have long memories to see what happened last time we tried to fight on two fronts, obviously disaster, relegation. Um, but, you know, if, if you want to succeed, if you want to build up as a club, you've got to be in the top competitions. You know, I don't think anyone would expect us to win the Cup or even, I think, we quite a long shot to even get out of the group. Um, But the point is, if you're in the Hannigan Cup, you get the extra revenue, you get the extra prestige. You can attract better players as well. You know, players want to play... In the top level, in the top countries that want to play in the Heineken Cup, um, and you know, if you kind of get the taste of it, and you're regularly finishing in position, and you, you build up a squad, you have the finances to to be a, a good mid-table team that can you know be in the mix to qualify for the Heineken Cup regularly. You know, let's let's try and do a bit better each season and fight relegation. And if you get in the Heineken Cup, then this is sort of what happens. I mean, if you look at a football example, Leicester City, for example, um, you know that they're a team that always sort of fought. A bit of a yo-yo team in some ways, always for relegation, never anywhere. But then, you know, they got, got things right, have a good season. Since they won the league, the Premier League, then they've always been sort of challenging the top end of the league and getting into European competitions and whatnot. And that's what happens. You know, there's no reason why we necessarily aren't going to replicate that, but it's a model that you can look at for smaller teams where if you get into these big competitions. It's like an upward spiral, isn't it? It's a it's a virtuous spiral. Um, so, and I think it's just really negative. So, I can understand the logic and maybe it's a bit realistic, but I think, you know, the whole point of following your team in sport is you want the best for your team and the best for your team is to qualify and to play in the, the top competitions.
0: Yeah. And I think that what would I rather do? Would I rather finish ninth and end up in Challenge Cup where we don't really know what it's going to entail next year yet, or, would I rather another away day like Toulon? I know in an instant what I'd go for. Exactly. I mean, they're there. obviously they're the games that
1: you remember, for, yeah, for the rest of your life. Um, and who knows? I mean, like last time, you could get your really memorable result like Toulon and Montpellier. But I mean, I, I would still rather we qualify for the Heineken Cup and just just played like a B or even C team Heineken Cup, just to I think the. We've got to be realistic, and I think just the fact of us being there. Now, I know you know a lot of purists or pundits will, will sort of turn their nose up at that, but I think we could use the opportunity to get experience for some players in the Hankin Cup, in the same way that we would play them in, in the Challenge Cup. Um, and ch- I think just the fact we'd be there would be good because let, let's face it: would you rather play in the Hanking Cup and finish bottom of your group or be knocked out by, like, I don't know, um, a Northampton or what well, Northampton Champions Cup? Well, let's say, let's say a Gloucester. Would you rather? You know, finish Baltimore your group after some really great away games and away days, and even home games in the Heineken Cup, making memories, or would you rather be knocked out of the quarter final away to Gloucester or something? You know, it's, I
0: think ninety five percent, I think, of fans would know which one to choose there. Um, I haven't looked at the format of the two European competitions next year, but it might also be that if you do end up finishing third or fourth in your group, or however they structure it, that you might end up dropping into the Challenge Cup anyway, which you could then target should you want to. Also, I think that if you play Heineken Cup, it adds another string to your bow when it comes to signing players. Um, obviously, Sam Stewart signed a new contract this week, which I'm quite pleased with. But um, I do think there will be a bit of recruitment over summer. I hope there will be in a few positions. And what better carrot can there be to dangle at someone than saying we're going to be playing at the highest level in Europe? Yeah, well, exactly. I mean, <clears throat> it's an interesting question there. I mean...
1: In terms of player recruitment, do we have a, a, a list of players who would go for if we do qualify for the Heineken Cup and do we have a list of players that we go for if we don't or really is, is it just, we you know, we have idea of players which that we want for our level and to build for the team and that's what we're going to, that's what we're going to go for. Um, but, it, you know, I, I don't think it, it does any harm, you know, you're signing players like your Mike Brown, you're playing in the, in the Heineken Cup, I mean. If you're if you're a foreign player or Southern Hemisphere player, you know you see some of the names in the team now. You see where we're playing. You see some of the opposition we're playing against week in week out. And you think, oh yeah, you know, actually, you know, let's uh, let's go let's just play Newcastle. You know, all right, let's a uh, club on the up start. You know, making moves, done really well after getting promotion. It's just it would be like a natural progression, wouldn't it? After you know, get relegated, get promoted solidly. I know it's a relegation, but a solidly you know, quote-unquote staying up, not finishing bottom. And then to to play in a premium competition only a year, only a couple of years after the championship would would be a wonderful advert for the club. And I think it also helped the region as well
0: to get that sort of interest too. Talking of interest in the region, um, do you see any of the England um, squad positions this summer going to, to Falcons fans, uh, so, so Falcons players? Or do you think it's going to be one of these ones where Eddie Jones once again just kind of, I think he must have his map torn off at about somewhere in the Midlands because he doesn't really seem to look much further than that. Well, I think I was joking with someone on Facebook or something saying he came up
1: to look at Ollie Lawrence. Um, But um, I don't know, I think the writing's on the wall for for Radwan to maybe get a sneak in. I think I would be surprised if he's not in the squad this summer, whether he'll play much or whether he'll start, I don't know. But... um, but in the highlights um, on Channel 5 just this evening, um, David Flatt was saying, you know, if you see some of the tries and performances that Radwan has done, if if that was re zamet people would be going wild over him. And it's that's exactly right, actually. And I think, unlike a lot of times with genuinely really good focused players, Radwan is getting national press. He's, he's getting attention throughout the, throughout the whole game in the country. So I think... I would be surprised if he's not picked. I would like to see, uh, as a dark horse, maybe McGuigan. But Hooker, I don't think we're particularly strong there. When you take out the Lions selections, there's um, an opportunity to play someone like him. Uh, I'm not sure if there'll be anyone else, but i would be
0: nice to see those two, I think, sneak in. Um, you say not sure anyone else. I think people have mentioned Burrell, but I think, if I'm honest, he's past it and he's not going to feature in plans for the future. It's a shame because I, I do think he could possibly play Saxons, or I'm not allowed to call it that anymore, sorry, um, England A. Um, I think he, he could easily play it and hold his own very well, but I just don't think he's going to be a future plans. But I think that two players that are overlooked are Trevor Davison and Sean Robinson. Um, I think both of those, if they were playing for a, a fashionable club, your, your clubs that people like Reece Summit play for, for example, then I, I can see that they would have England caps already potentially, or almost certainly in the fray for the summer. Yeah,
1: um, I mean, I've sort of half toyed with my, my head about Burrell, but it's exactly that. You know, it's just not, he's certainly not past it, but it's having his age and what they're going to do. They're going to use the opportunity to, you know, play young, new players, aren't they? I mean, it's fair enough. Um, but yeah, I mean, I didn't say Robertson, not because I don't think he deserves it. I, mean, I think he does, but I just think that you know, we talk about the unfashionable Newcastle focus of things, and there is actually quite a lot of competition throughout the country in back row, um, which I don't think that necessarily is in winger and hooker as much. Uh, but you're right about Trevor Davison. Uh, I think you pretty much hit the nail on the head there. I think if you if, you, if Trevor Davison was playing for for Bath, let's say, or, um, or even someone like a Bath or Northampton or Leicester you know, people would be talking about him being selected for England. No, and I don't just mean it over the summer, I mean in general, for talking about Six Nations. Um, but you're right, I, I don't know, it's it's really unfortunate, I don't know what more he can really do. And I think this is the opportunity when, you know, obviously we do have players playing for the Lions to kind of get his foot in the door. And I think maybe if he does get his foot in the door, it could
0: stay there, but it's a, I think it's a long leap to kind of get to that point, unfortunately. Um, one thing which... I'll just pick up on what you said, which might actually help Robinson, is that you said that um, you mentioned him as a back row, whereas I think he's also very able to play a second row. And I know that, um, for example, Courtney Laws has made appearances at certain points when perhaps you would have expected him not to because he's got that versatility. Um, The same way the Toji, he's got that versatility. not saying that he wouldn't start on merit anyway, but um, when you have these second rows that can ably play back row, normally blindside flanker ends up being... But um, they certainly, they may not necessarily be the best in the country in either position, but when they can play both and you're going on a tour or needing a training camp or something, they, they quite often get called up for that reason of versatility.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, I guess preaching to the choir, I suppose. I mean, we all know what he's about. We all know how good he can be. Um, but I don't just think back, but I do think in second row, there's a hell of a lot of good English competition out there. And, you know, maybe the fact that he doesn't play for a particularly trendy club and... And uh, I don't know, maybe the inconsistency of the team this season as well. Because I think if we were, if the focus players get regularly picked for England, I think we would have to somehow transform ourselves into a proper top four contention team and get regular lookings. ins. Um, so I, I think, as, as much as I think Robinson deserves it, it would be obviously absolutely fantastic to see him in the England
0: squad. I just think it's just not going to happen, unfortunately. Then a couple of outside ones to throw in there. Um, I- doubt that um Mark Wilson will make the squad I think that's probably because it's England Saxons not England and he's now established an England player but you never know he might end up captaining it um I don't know potentially whether that's on the on the table or not but I also think that um Callum Chick might end up getting called up there he can play all across uh, six and six and uh, eight and he's been playing extremely well he's certainly in form at the minute and one other one that I'll just throw in there um I think Brett Connan um It'd be a bit of a surprise and he'd turn a few heads, but on front foot, he's been playing extremely well recently. I think Marcus Smith might be ahead of him in the queue, but he is up there. As a, like If you look at a lot of the fly halves in the premiership, not many of them are English, and I'd put him ahead of people like Grayson and players like that who do get talked about.
1: Yeah, um, I guess what and I sort of maybe worry about is, consistency really but I think someone if you hadn't got injured uh, I, mean, I think Penny would have been a decent contention to be quite honest um, I think he uh, for, for a period I thought he was one of the best football backs in the league actually but um, yeah, with Chick actually that, that's an interesting one uh, to be honest I think you can kind of copy and paste what I said about Robinson really you know we know what he's about we know he could definitely have John Franklin against you know U- USA's and Canada's and whatnot but whether they will raid Newcastle that extensively for more than one or two players probably not unfortunately um and and it's a shame because as I said just before you know for a lot of these sort of fringe or English players this is this is their moment to kind of get international recognition you know if, if you're a fringe English player or any sort of international player when the Lions come along you know this is your moment to kind of get noticed when you otherwise wouldn't have um and it, it would be really nice for, for us to kind of get a lot of good amount of representation even against you know some tests against your USAs and Canada's but um we can only hope and I think actually we can be optimistic that
0: maybe one or two will genuinely have a really good chance of getting in there. Something that's quite interesting to in the last week. Um last week we mentioned the rather amusing situation with Saracens finishing a second place in the championship. Developments over the over the last uh, seven days or it's not even that since we last recorded um Thousands have threatened legal action because it's fashionable. And then it seems like, as is normally the case when people threaten legal action, everyone comes around a table and comes up to an amicable solution. So now Ealing are going to finish top of the league as they quite rightly did because it's the rules that everyone agreed to. But they've swapped around the final home and away venues. So Ealing are playing at home first instead of second. Obviously Saracen's the other way around. Bit odd, but do you think it was just easier than going to court? I mean, I suppose it's easier than going to call, but,
1: it, you know, it does even a bitter taste. It's just it's just sort of fully and plain and simple, really, isn't it? Um, I'm not, you know, it's almost I almost sort of feel like, do I have all the facts here? Because it just seems like so such an sort of obnoxious, arrogant thing to do, even sort of by Saracen standards. Um, and I'm actually quite surprised that eating sort of a supposed seemed a seem to have kind of gone with it so so sort of easily um i thought they would have made a real first i mean because we sort of know really history really anyway they like to sometimes make a fuss about this sort of thing um i would have thought they and them of all teams would have would have actually made a bit of fuss, saying you know as you've said you know these are the rules we finish top tough you know we're getting the second leg at home um i don't know it kind of makes a mockery of of a lot of things really doesn't it it's just not very nice to see. Um, I mean, we all know Saracen are going to win it, so it, it probably doesn't matter. But that
0: it's just not the point, really. That's just not really the, the nature or spirit of the sport. Yeah, so if we just do a roundup of the, the fixtures um, at the weekend, and then we'll go to the league table. On Friday night, sale hammered Harlequins 45 points to 12, which was quite good for us because it means the Harle- Harlequins now have nothing to play for. On Saturday, there was that West Country stitch up, I mentioned, which has been declared nils each between Gloucester and Bath. But then obviously Bath get four points and Gloucester get two. Leicester ended up with a bonus point at home to Bristol, which could prove quite useful for them. When they lost 23-26, we obviously got the bonus point win against Worcester. Then London Irish ended up getting two bonus points against Wasps in a 36-39 defeat at home. On Sunday, Exeter beat Northampton 29 points to 26 which doesn't really have a bearing on much as far as we're concerned, but um, it means that Exeter is still vying for top spot. As are Bristol, so Bristol play a stronger team. So as the league table stands, Bristol are in the lead with 81, followed by Exeter on 78. Sale have 73, and Harlequins have 66. If I'm honest, I can't see any of those positions changing, nor with fifth position, Northampton on 55 points. Then it gets a bit more interesting. We've got Leicester on 49, Wasps on 48, Bath on 47, London Irish on 46, we've got 44, Gloucester on 43 and Worcester finishing bottom on 23. Um, I think it's probably worth mentioning the fixtures. I did did rattle through them earlier on in the show, but um, this weekend coming up, we've got Bath v Northampton, so that's probably going to be a Bath victory because Northampton play a weekend squad. Bristol, London Irish, Bristol have got everything to play for, finishing outright top to play Harlequins in the semi-final for the league, so I'm envisaging quite a hefty win for Bristol in that game. Exeter versus Sale, that's basically... Who finishes second should be a cracker, but won't be watching because going to be watching us playing against Harlequins away at three o'clock on Saturday. Wasps will be playing Leicester. Tigers, as we discussed earlier, we're hoping for a Leicester victory in that one, but I think it could go either way quite easily. And then Gloucester are probably going to stick a load of points on Worcester and end up with five points there. So that will be the fixtures next weekend. They're all at three o'clock on Saturday to stop. People playing silly buggers when they realise what's going on, but it might be that at half-time, suddenly everyone's switching the teams around when they work out what's going on elsewhere in the league, I'm not sure. Right then, ladies and gents, so that was our penultimate Folk on Falcons. Hopefully this time next week you'll be tuning in and you'll be revelling in our delight at finishing 8th, potentially 7th, or in the wildest dreams, I think mathematically we could finish 6th, but I think I think a lot of things have to go away for that. All in all, nice way to finish the last home game of the season with a victory, and look forward to speaking to you next week. So goodbye, everyone. Bye, everyone.